Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, welcome back once again to the Evolve Move Play podcast. This week we're presenting the second half of my interview with Paul Check. So initially we had scheduled our interview for 90 minutes, but as we talked, there was just a lot to say and it was very compelling and we ended up talking for quite a long time and there was a nice break in the conversation because the first part of the conversation is really about the holistic health perspective and the idea of the body as a machine. And the second half of the conversation is about our perspectives on spirituality and how they interact with health and fitness. And one of the things that I really love about Paul is that Paul is one of the first people to really start bringing this into uh, the culture of fitness, like a deeper conversation around how our physical practices can impact our health, not only, you know, as far as physiological markers, but how we really experience well-being in the world. Um, but this is also an interesting place because we really have a lot of tension in how we see things. Um, I try to root my way of thinking as deeply as possible in what I would call a scientific epistemology. And Paul is an extraordinarily well-educated person within science and can operate within science very well. But he also has a perspective that is, let's say, outside of the scientific perspective, a, a spiritual perspective. And um, so, yeah, that, that provides an interesting tension for us to explore. And I think we do it in a really, uh, a really a kind and interesting way together. And I think that for people who are, who are intrigued about that, who are trying to understand these gaps and trying to understand how we can map a way of, of integrating spirituality, let's say, into the way that we perceive our physical practices, I think this is a rich and fruitful conversation. So um, it was wonderful to have Paul, and I think you guys will enjoy this. And uh, yeah, without further ado, part two of my interview with Paul Check. So we, we scheduled for an hour and a half, and uh, it's been about that long. Uh, I'd really love to have a conversation with you a little bit more about meaning and uh, the spiritual side of this, because we, I think that you, you mentioned this idea of orientation. How do we solve this problem? we have to understand meaning and how, mm -hmm. how that impacts motivation. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's kind of a bridge too far for us to get into at this stage. I think this is uh, something we'll have to come back to. Does that sound good to you? Whatever you want, but you know, meaning can be very deep, but it can also be fairly simple too. Meaning is what creates the flow of spirit. Can you explain on that? Yeah. If I say to you, uh, I want you to do the hardest CrossFit workout you can do every day for seven days in a row to get ready for your tournament in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And the athlete's first thought would be, shit, I'm going to be covered in blisters and 
broken and sore as hell and will be able to be able to walk by the third day if I don't give myself rest in there. And the coach might say, well, you need to toughen up or whatever the excuse might be. But you see, in the athlete's mind, if they can't make meaning out of the process, they, it will have a natural blocking factor on the flow of their own life force energy, their own consciousness, their own willingness to engage because there's no meaning. Therefore, they can't connect the, the request to the outcome. Those two stay separate. Mm -hmm. So if the process and the outcome don't lead to the objective that an individual intends, there's no meaning. For example, um, telling people how many cases of COVID there are without informing them that the PCR test is completely and utterly unreliable is only to trick and deceive them. But if someone says to me, Paul, you have COVID and they did the PCR test on me, I said, you have no idea what I have. Uh, the count number of people that have no symptoms of all that have tested positive using the PCR test is through the roof. But the test was not designed for identifying a virus. It's designed for other scientific applications to a virus. But the point is I could get very technical on it. But what I'm trying to say to you is that if someone says to me, you need to get a shot because you have COVID and I know the test isn't reliable, I cannot make meaning. I can't connect the shot to the, the process or the disease because I can't be confident that I even have the disease because I know the test is up to 90% unreliable and it's just a big scam. So if, I, if there's not meaning, then what happens is it causes an inhibition inside of you. It causes fear. It causes uh, the feeling of why bother? You know, for example, how many women would do the work to get pregnant and carry a baby for nine months and give birth to it if they knew that somebody was just going to take it away and sell it? There would be no meaning to the pain and to the bonding process and the act of being a mother if the child was just going to be sold on the black market. So if meaning is not present, then the desire does not produce will. Will and desire are two sides of a coin. Desire is like a, the front end of a jet engine. The harder the jet engine sucks, the harder it blows. So there's a direct correlation between the desire, the suck, and the will, the blow. But in the middle, there has to be meaning or the suction will not produce a blow. You won't go. Mm -hmm. So on inside of ourselves, without meaning, we go into a state of freeze because we can't see why we should express or expend ourselves or invest ourselves in a process that has no meaning. Yeah. Meaning connects process to outcome is what I'm saying. And if meaning's not there, a person will rarely make it from process to outcome uh, or they'll, they'll, they won't put any effort into it or they won't pay attention. For example, a lot of kids can't find any meaning in class. I left school after the ninth grade because the school teachers wouldn't answer my questions. So there was no meaning in it for me. When I was in a Christian church, people would not answer my questions. They just told me to shut up. So I, I'm like, well, if you can't answer my questions, 
and you want me to believe this, but what you're saying is completely and utterly contradictory to what you said five minutes ago. I'm only eight years old, and if I can't make meaning out of this and get my questions answered, it makes me very nervous as to why adults are so gullible. How can you say God loves you but will burn you in hell? To an eight-year-old, that doesn't make any sense, so there's no meaning there. So when it was time to go to church on Sunday, all I could think of is how quickly can I get out of there or can I make an excuse? Can I say that I got a baseball practice? I had to come up with a way to try to get out of it because my eight-year-old mind could not make meaning out of it. And when you don't have meaning and you force somebody to do something, it usually creates chaos or fear, which makes them highly programmable. Yeah, so a couple things there. One, uh, I just want to note that I'm not exactly on the same side with the, the COVID debate, so I think it'd be easier if we don't get deep into that. Well, you um, don't want to debate it with me because I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to put the scourge to you because I spent about 250 hours researching it. And if you think of everything I've just shared with mm -hmm. you and what you've seen me share, this brain applied to COVID will do the same thing it did for exercise and healthcare. So fire away. Well, yeah, I, I spent about three hours a day on COVID from February through May. But, yeah, but you can only learn you could only learn as much from the information as you know to learn with. I spent my entire life in this field and most of what people are reading, they don't even understand anyhow. So I'm happy to debate whatever you want. But like I say, if you're going to pull a sword on a samurai, make sure you know how to use it. Well, I, I'm just not interested in, in, in getting deep into that. I think it's not the most the most productive for you and I and for the audience. No, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm not attached. I'm just simply yeah. using it as an example because it's a current one that everybody yeah, can yeah. connect to. And there's a lot of things about the whole thing that make no meaning. Sure. So I, 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 I get everything you said there. Um, what it reminds me a lot of is actually Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in his book, Flow. Basically, right? You need, you need a, when, when there are actions that are taken, you need a feedback system that gives relevant information. Mm -hmm. But I, I think there's something deeper to that question of meaning. Like, I know you're also a fan of, uh, of like Jordan Peterson's work. And yeah, it's okay. I mean, yes, I, I mean, I, you know, it's Jungian psychology. There's a lot of things that he, that he says that I question. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody has some, some truth. So I think part of what we always have to do is, is identify what is it that's very truthful. There's, you know, there's truth to Christianity, there's truth to Judaism, there's truth to many things that irritate the hell out of me. It's just, what is the measure of truth rev relative to the measure of confusion or chaos? And the more confusion and chaos there is, the less meaning there is. And therefore, you, you end up um, without meaning, there's no coherence is another way to look at it. See, mm -hmm. for example, you're a husband with children. There's a lot of meaning to doing whatever you've got to do to pay the rent and get food on the plate, even if it's not what you like to do, because due to the environment of the circumstances, you cannot get a job doing what you love to do. So if all you can do is uh, work for a sanitation company or sweep floors or repair traps for a crab fisherman for eight bucks an hour, then it's meaningful for you to do that while keeping your radar up for the next best opportunity. 
but if you're skilled enough and you're worth 150 bucks an hour and someone offers you a job for eight bucks an hour fixing crab traps, there's no meaning in, it in that circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> Without meaning, there's no coherence and therefore it blocks the flow of your life force energy or your spirit. That's funny. I had a, a similar experience to that last year. Uh, so, but uh, I, when I think about meaning, I actually think about ecological psychology, right? What is the meaning of a cup? Right? The meaning of a cup it's is in utility. Yeah. In the fact that it affords actions that are relevant to my motivational systems as a as a primate with grasping hands and the desire for liquids, right? Mm -hmm. So, so there's there's a there's an inherent meaning that comes within our capacity to act on the world, mm -hmm. and this 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 cup is this category system of a cup doesn't have any relevance outside of my existence or our existence as as human beings, right? Like to train a computer to understand the cup, um, you you have to give it an arm to move liquids with, basically. Like that's the fastest way to train it because, mm -hmm. because the things that are obvious and relevant to us as human beings are not actually easy to find or relevant to, uh, to program into a computer. And I think that in some level, as we understand ourselves better, we can understand and, and find that meaning within life. Uh, but there's, there's, there's something interesting about the issue of how we frame information because so often people ask this question or, or, as an industry, we are faced with this problem that people aren't finding what we're asking them to do meaningful. Well, the first thing they should do is, is uh, not do it if there's no meaning. People ask people, that's why I brought the COVID example up because here's a perfect example to apply the concept of meaning. It's context dependent, you see, the same information that makes somebody run and get in line to have a test and a shot is only because within the context of their framework of perception and understanding that it makes sense to them. But from my perspective, the same information can be a huge red flag that says run the other fucking way. Point being that meaning is context dependent. Yes. Yes, we from a what makes meaning to a christian may not mean make meaning at all to a buddhist for example yeah in fact the buddhist may look at it and go i can't believe you're falling for that right yeah but 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 yeah. what but santa claus is a lot more meaningful to a child yes. than most religious figures are because Santa Claus produces tangible results. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, yes, my, my kids have doubts about God. They don't have any doubts about Santa Claus. <laughs> well, yet. you know, they're really very similar. The closer you get to know either of them. <laughs> I think of, uh, I, I think that uh, Peterson in his book, uh, Maps of Meaning, at the beginning of it, he says, you know, there are two ways to look at the world. You can look at the world as a world of objects and you can look at the world as a forum for actions. And it's within the world. There's as another way to look at the world too. And that's as essence. Uh, explain that. What are you looking at when you see matter? 
that depends on on the frame that you're bringing to what you're looking. well i'm saying what are you actually looking at what am i looking at yes your desk your body what are you really looking at what is it is what i'm saying uh depends on your layer a level of analysis right I mean, mostly it's empty space according to science exactly yeah what is it it's entangled light moving it just under the speed of light but it's really not a thing it just appears to your senses as a thing and due to the atomic forces it's spinning so fast like an airplane propeller if a propeller is sitting still you can stick your hand between the blades if it's cranking over like you're just starting you might still get one hand in there but if it's going at 30,000 rpm and you try that it'll be like a wall of blades yeah so my point is that the deeper meaning of matter is in the essence of it but the essence is very very hard to get to until you've gotten to your own essence because when you get to your own essence you get to the core of the essence of everything and that's what mystical experiences are for that's why we're having the third wave of psychedelics right now because people are not finding meaning in the world as it is they're not finding meaning in material possessions they're not finding connection they're not finding um reason to continue so what's happening is people are having to go to mystical experiences in many of those experiences they get to the essence of themselves they understand what a mind is how it works they often meet their own soul and then they look at a tree and instead of seeing a pile of wood they see something that's living and breathing and can communicate to them so when you start talking to a tree you're talking to what the essence of the atoms really is representing just like if my only knowledge of rafe is a guy that's five foot something with a beard who likes to jump from rock to rock and building to building then i haven't met his essence so i can't really know rafe i can only know what i can perceive with my senses and my perceptual framework or my filtration system I'm only making an additional point to the two that Jordan Peterson put on there, but the other one that's missing that's critical is the essence of things, and our culture is too shallow. If you study the Greek philosophers, they're all about essence. Yeah, um, I've been listening Take to- Take Han speaks about it, for example. Yeah, I've been listening to some discussions around this idea of uh, of how being can be seen as as sort of emanating down in the form of you know something like an essence the the the, the structural functional organization of something as as representing something above plato's forms and then also as emerging from below and from a rational materialist sort of scientific frame i think we have justification for emergence um, but not necessarily for emanation which sounds to me related to what you're what you're talking about. Well, emergence is the product of the combination of different elements, be they material elements or chemical elements. For example, water is H2O, but yeah. hydrogen without those two parts oxygen does not have wetness. Wetness mm -hmm. is an emergent property of H2O. Scientific materialists think consciousness is an emergent property of the brain. But that's a, an utterly ridiculous concept because consciousness was here before brains were created. Nervous systems didn't even show up until the class of animals we call jellyfish emerged, which I can't remember how many million years ago. So you have to say, well, 
there was a myriad of creatures in nature that have form, shape, and function. So what created them if consciousness requires a brain to produce an emergent property we call consciousness? That's that's Richard Dawkins' argument in, in The Blind Watchmaker, right? And I, most... I haven't read the book, but I'll trust you on that one. But the, the essential idea is that uh, structure and form and everything can derive from, from a bottom-up uh, development, an emergent process. It doesn't have to come from down, right? We design a watch, so we look at the way that a watch is created, and we think, ah, oh, it has to be created by, a, by an intelligence, by a yes. top-down. Matter cannot organize itself. That's a fact. If you study alchemy, for example, there's four elements. Fifth is the quintessence. But you have earth, water, fire, and air. Earth and water are non-volatile, and air and fire are volatile. Air and fire can transform water and earth, but water and earth cannot move themselves. Air and fire can move and transform them, so they're called volatile. Mm -hmm. But your body is largely made of water and earth with the metabolism to produce the fire and the breath to produce the air. And if you look at the word spirit, it relates to the word breath. Psyche and soul and breath are all intimately connected. Uh -huh. And so if there's no breath, which I could give you the whole biochemical breakdown on, then there's nothing to anchor your soul within your body and the matter cannot organize itself. And that's why dead people don't talk, don't move and dance around. Osho says you can cut open the dancer, but you will not find the dance. So all I'm saying to you is a bottom-up process cannot happen with matter alone. There has to be a motive force with intelligence to organize it. And that's what spirituality really is the science and study of is what is organizing everything to produce the phenomena that we experience in life as life. And that's why the study of the psyche is so critical to the understanding of life itself. Because if you don't understand the psyche, you can't understand more about life than you can understand about yourself. It's impossible. And, and the evidence that that's going on is right in the medical system. It's right in how we're handling COVID it's how we handle most things. We, we don't handle these things from the awareness of what makes life. For example, a woman who has um, endometriosis is likely to be told by a surgeon she needs her uterus cut out, but they're not looking at what is going on in her relationships, what traumas she has unresolved, what her level of self-esteem is and many other factors that actually are um, the etiology of the imbalance that leads to the dysfunction called endometriosis. And many are the women I've rehabbed that had had their uterus cut out, but their pain did not change. In fact, it got worse because now they had two injuries. And when I actually address the issues in their life that I track down to being directly correlated to the imbalances that led to the endometriosis and address those, then their pain went away and they realized they lost their uterus for no reason because somebody actually thought that it was a material problem. Your uterus is dysfunctional. Wow. So there's a good example of how the matter is not organizing itself. It's responding to a motive force 
that has enough intelligence to change the orientation of the earth and the water elements that are largely producing the uterus. So there's, there's, that's a way to frame it, but I would say there's also another way to frame it, right? Because we can Give look at, we can look at emotion as a emergent property of underlying hormonal factors, which are matter, right? Yes, that's one that, level of emotion. Yeah, and we can, I, I, I think the, the problem, like the problem of surgery as a really expensive and dangerous placebo very often is a huge problem in our medical system. When I was uh, 25 years old, I've been doing parkour for two years and I had developed pain in my knees, right? And I went to the best surgeon in Seattle who worked with Seattle Seahawks and he said I had chondromalacia and I had a basically genetic weakness in my knees. And then by the time I was 35, I'd need a, a complete knee replacement. Mm -hmm. And I just begged him, I said, you know, send me to a physical therapist. He's like, oh, they can't do anything for you, right? But he sent yeah. me to a physical therapist and six weeks later, I didn't have any knee pain. <laughs> and I've healed dozens of parkour athletes from knee pain now. Um, and, and I've studied pain a lot and realized that, you know, as you said, all, all, all stress is some, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times the, the roots of our pain uh, come from things that are completely unexpected. Yeah. You, you, it's your emotions, it's, it's your relationships, it's, it's any number of other things, right? Uh, I love, you know, the Z Health guys talk about the stress bucket, right? You know, you, you have holes in the bucket and whatever the, the lowest hole is, the, the stress outputs to that because you've got mm -hmm. that potentiated pathway of, of pain. So, 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 so these women come to you and you can fix what they're experiencing. Because I don't you, fix it. I teach them how to fix it. It's not my job to fix anything. That makes me a mechanic. Okay. Well, you, you, you can, um, yeah, you can educate them in such a yes. way that they. I mean, certainly I have to do things that they can't do. Like if their motility of the uterus is off, I have to work with that. If they have scarring, fascial binding, there's a myriad, myriad of things that I do because I have the skill to do it. But really the healing is in the, willingness to engage the etiology. For example, Steiner said, whenever somebody has chronic pain or a disease, the way you heal them is to identify what their secret story that they're telling themselves is. Jung said, when you're dealing with people that have chronic problems, you have to find what their unmet task in their life is, because usually the pain in their body is an accumulation of energy that's stuck because they're not addressing what they know they need to address. So it's accumulating stress that's affecting the area of their body that's giving them trouble. Going back to your issue of emotions, the biochemistry of the body can play havoc on the emotions at the level of the body. But if you really study emotions, almost all of our emotions are experiences that are the byproducts of our values. For example, in our culture, we have an agreement that when you're going to check out at a register at a, a supermarket, you stand in the end of the line and wait your turn. But in China, they say whoever gets in there, however they get in there is first. So if a Chinaman comes over to the United States and they're not familiar with our culture, they will butt right in line 
and jump in front of people and that might get them punched in the head or thrown out or a big fight starts. But you see the point is the person that just got cut in front of is gonna have a very strong emotional reaction because the value that we wait in line has been trespassed. If you find out that your wife or your husband's having an extramarital affair and has been cheating on you and the value of your marriage vows is that we are monogamous and that we communicate to each other and that we don't do things that cause trouble for us or the kids or the stability of the relationship, then someone who finds out they're getting cheated on can have significant amounts of anxiety, depression, anger, frustration, dot, dot, dot. But if you look at that person from a biochemical perspective, say, oh, look, their cortisol levels are way up, their estrogens are way down, and you change those hormones, that's not going to do a damn thing because it hasn't addressed the value that's been trespassed. Mm -hmm. You understand my point? Now we're getting to the essence. So what has the values? It's the soul. It's the psyche. And what are those values designed to do to create meaning? It doesn't make meaning when your spouse is cheating on you. It creates so chaos. And that triggers an emotional reaction that can burn your hormonal system out. And most therapists treat it at the chemical end because they're either too afraid or underskilled or too immature to look into the meaning aspect, which is a soul quality, which expresses itself in values that triggers emotional reactions. So you can change someone's experience of an emotion by, by changing their biochemistry, right? So you, if somebody, you, you, you can, you but what I'm telling you is you're, you're not getting to the etiology of the emotion. That's cutting the top off of a weed is all that's doing. That's a superficial manipulation. That's like giving someone that's depressed antidepressants. And they say, oh, I don't feel depressed anymore, but you haven't addressed the issue that led to your depression. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a symptom, right? So, like for instance, if you don't if you don't sleep well and you don't eat well and your testosterone crashes and you take testosterone, then you will your symptoms burn yourself will, out. <laughs> your symptoms of low testosterone will go away. Right? That's what Viagra's for. <laughs> <laughs> so your symptoms of low testosterone go away, but now you are incurring a cost because the testosterone is actually inhibiting your hypothalamus pituitary testicular axis. And so you're making it harder for your system to actually function on its own over time. And, you know, it's toxic and who knows, who knows what else is going on there. Well, the point I'm, I'm trying to say to you is that taking the testosterone will not take the symptoms away if a skilled therapist is looking at you. Because I can look right through that whole facade I can read your energy field. I can feel what you're concealing inside of yourself within myself. And in a very short period of time, I will ask you questions that will make it dead obvious that you still have the driver that led to low testosterone. And if you study the psyche, when you're not addressing the real issue and you cover it up, it just comes out sideways somewhere else as yeah, another problem that the medical system sees as another diagnosis. So what happens is you just burn yourself out chasing problems, thinking you've fixed them, but you've created another one, which then creates another one. So why? Because you're not, you're not getting back to the values and you're not getting back to the essence or the soul and what makes meaning or isn't making meaning. Okay, so let's just play this analogy out because I'm, I'm trying to, to understand exactly where you're coming from. So 
So if someone isn't resting properly, isn't taking care of themselves, they take testosterone, which, which replaces one of the components of the system that's not functioning. But then they're going to continue to accumulate problems because the, the underlying pathogen essentially still exists within their life. Yes, and you have to remember, you cannot change any hormone in the human body without a knock-on effect on every other hormone in the body. Yeah. So if you are like me, 59 years old, and you start taking testosterone, it might make you look and feel younger, but it can cause shifts in the ratios of things like DHA to cortisol ratios that can do things like dry you out, make you tired, just create cognitive disorders and many, many other things, but you're only looking through your life through a straw and look, my dick works better and I'm growing muscles again. Yes, but let me show you all the other things that are happening that are going to lead to a long series of problems that you're going to either have to come to the point where you realize you've actually got to man up and address the real issue, or you're just going to spend all your time, energy, and money on doctors, therapists, pills, and possibly surgeries and that's how the medical system keeps itself extremely profitable, just like that. So, so we're so I I I'm, I grok all that. What I'm what I don't completely understand is how that goes back to soul or essence. Okay, well, why did you need testosterone enhancements in the first place? I've had 19-year-old athletes call me and asked me how to get off of Viagra. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you, Rafe, what does it mean when a 19-year-old has to take a pill to get an erection so he can have sex with a woman when they should be the most vile, strong, healthy people in our culture? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you said vile when you meant virile. Yeah, virile, but yes. Vilely yeah. virile. Um, it's it, a vile it situation. <laughs> Is <laughs> they're profoundly unhealthy. Uh, there's something. There's something that is interrupting the normal function of their bodies. Good. Now, so stay there and say, okay, why are they unhealthy? Um, it depends on the individual, but it could be, you know, it could be stress factors in the lifestyle. It could be underlying emotional issues. It could be dietary issues. It could be additives in food. It could be chemicals in the water. Um, Good. Yeah, and all those are the results of choices. And all those choices are the products of beliefs. Yes. And all those beliefs are contained within the mind. And without the mind, the soul has no agency in the world. Mm -hmm. The soul is inclusive. You live in your soul. Your body's in your soul. Your soul's not in your body. Everything you know of as your energy field, your etheric, your astral, your mental, and causal are all in the envelope of soul. So what I'm trying to point out is that you take the analogy, we're working with this young person who's taking or, uh, Viagra because their dick doesn't work. Once we start saying, what are the choices that led to the problem? Then we have to say, what are the beliefs that led to the choices? Then we have to say, who gave them those beliefs and how long have they been creating problems? And if they've been going on for quite a while, why isn't the person questioning the beliefs? Usually because there's a repercussion to question beliefs, like I told you about me in school and in church. So what happens is if we're not 
dealing with the needs of the soul, we're not nourishing the individual at the most important level for them to have a sense of meaning and connection. And the knock-on effect is someone who's 19 and has a dick that doesn't work. Yeah. I... Does that connect the dots better? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still don't get to um, the astral plane for me because I, I view those as like interpsychic effects, right? Like we, we live within a culture and we live within a culture that has a set of norms and beliefs and everything's embedded in that ecology. There's an ecology of, of, of the physical environment. There's an ecology of uh, the behavioral environment. And well, those two go hand in hand. Look around yeah. you. Yeah, and so so why so why do we have why do we have additives in the water, or why do we, you know, expect a nineteen year old to wake up at six a.m. and go to completely against their circadian rhythm in order to go to school, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All those things are 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 at the level of the culture. And I, I actually I've been thinking about a lot about spirituality recently, and I mean, we we go on and on with this, but. So I grew up as a, as a kind of kid of the hippie generation, right? My, my parents had gurus and went to Kripalu and, um, and, and I just saw a lot of claims within spirituality that, uh, that, that, that ended up being excuses for bullshit, right? Excuses yes, but to, you're, you're not really talking about authentic spirituality. You're talking about a belief system. Spirituality is the science of causes. You need it to study to Rudolf Steiner. He'll straighten you right up. <laughs> seems to me that physics is the study of causes, right? Physics is the study of physical causes. That's why it's called physics. physics metaphysics is the study gone. of what makes physics move. That's why yeah. it's called meta above physics. Sure. Quantum physics is really metaphysics. Hmm. That's an interesting claim. Yeah, I have to think about that one. In other words, what's happening is your own negative experiences that are psychologically associated to the word spirituality have biased you such that you're actually not engaging the spiritual elements of yourself, though. Therefore, the result is you're excluding them from your worldview, which is leaving a huge gaping hole, which is a right. common, common issue in our culture because most people have been punished for practicing true spirituality there's countless numbers of mystics burned at the stake if you uh three four hundred years ago told the church that the earth was not the center of the universe they would have killed you for that uh study copernicus and people like that um my point is that just because somebody else is acting in ways that are incongruent with the actual meaning of the terms they're using does not mean that the term itself is dysfunctional or what that term embodies. But the true study of spirituality is the study of your causes, which is why all spiritual practice has a component of breath. Because breath is the agency without which there is no possible mechanism for cause in a physical body. Yeah. But what breath does is lock the psyche into the physical body. Do I, I could explain it all, but it's a long technical explanation, but I teach it in my classes and it links right to soil science. And I can even show you how your food relates to that process. But um, yeah, I, I was just reading your, um, 
uh, reading the, the, the intro to this in, in the uh, Czech holistic health style uh, level one, as well as listening to evolve yourself physically and emotionally on your podcast, which are all really interesting. Well, get uh, to evolve yourself spiritually and you'll start to see more of what I'm talking about. That happens to be the most listened to series of the top 10 podcasts. We just, out of 2.4 million listens, Wow. Uh, of, of the top 10 most listened to podcasts, five of them are out of that series. Okay, I didn't realize there were five, but uh, yeah. Yeah, keep, evolve keep... yourself physically, evolve yourself emotionally, evolve yourself mentally, evolve yourself spiritually, evolve your career. Evolve your career. Okay, cool. There you go. And there's your top five. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so so one of the questions that I have and that I that I come back to and I'm, you know, like in my conversations with John Verveke and other folks, I'm always sort of hammering on this is scientific epistemology to me is has been incredibly powerful for us, but it, it has a hole in it. But then when people try to utilize an epistemology that comes from spirituality, often I see it, it evolve into very incongruent things. Like a classic one is uh, you know, in martial arts, the idea that you can push someone over, over with chi, right? When you, when you test things and experiment with things and, and train as a fighter, the things that you can do are, are very clear and they have clear feedback mechanisms and they don't look like spiritual approaches to martial arts. But ultimately, what we, why we do martial arts isn't captured effectively. The Tao isn't captured effectively in just the the effective martial arts, right? That's you, not the Tao's fault. No, no. So, uh, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm jumping too, f I, I feel uh, we're under a little bit of time pressure here. You haven't uh, met my Tai Chi master. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, I, I've, I've, I've heard many claims of the Tai Chi master who can fight with the, uh, with the MMA fighters. I've yet to see it demonstrated. Well, first of all, someone that's spiritually evolved doesn't put on displays on television to show off their testosterone because it goes against the very principles that they teach. And that is the very principle that has destroyed martial arts to begin with. Perhaps, but if we don't have systems to test, then if we don't have systems for feedback, then it's very easy for, 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 for any system of knowledge to become systematically corrupted what are you and trying to say because it's you're confusing me now i i'm skeptical of the claim right that that to me when someone says oh it's because they're spiritually evolved uh i i don't think that's a i don't think that that's a, a an acceptable excuse for you haven't actually demonstrated that you can fight yeah you're, you're unfortunately rafe your own biases are are very much limiting your perceptual field. And if you devoted yourself to a couple of years of daily Tai Chi and practice like I teach my students to do, then your whole concept of spirituality would change because you would actually have developed your spiritual self, your spiritual core, your life force energy, all sorts of things would be changing inside of you. And countless is the number of my students, for example, that used to believe clairvoyance was a bunch of bullshit, but after a year of Tai Chi, started having profound clairvoyant experiences and came to me with tears in their eyes and go, oh my God, I'm 
not only am I blown away, but I'm so embarrassed for all the people I've called idiots for talking about clairvoyance and spiritual stuff. And here I am stuck right in the middle of it. What do I do? I see you just grow up and be honest and go back and tell them you were wrong. <laughs> so, you know, you're giving strong opinions about something you have not devoted yourself to creating mastery, which would be like a table tennis master trying to tell you that your perception of parkour is wrong but they haven't jumped any further than the door of an airplane to the bridge one foot away well, you know it's important I, I for you to always remember there's a difference between the knowledge that comes from the experience and the intellectual exchange of concepts because a lot of the things that people say to me about spirituality are just absolute bullshit and I know because I've been, I trained with monks when I was a child. I spent an entire summer with monks learning from them. I went to a, 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 a temple with monks every Sunday for years. I meditated for years. I have, I did 19 years of Tai Chi almost every day, sometimes for an hour a day. I spent a year doing Egyptian sun gazing and had profound spiritual experiences that if I told most people, they would say, you're a goddamn lunatic. They should lock you up. And I said, well, you spend an hour a day being present with the sun first hour of morning or last hour of the day when the light won't hurt you because the atmosphere is thick enough. And nobody that I know that's ever done that hasn't had profound experiences, but people have all sorts of opinions about why guys like me are full of shit, but they never did the work to enter into the domain that the person giving the opinion that they're criticizing has done. Fair enough. But what, what I have done the work on is martial arts, right? I've been training martial arts. Me too. Right. So I've, I've, I've crossed hands with lots of people of lots of different di disciplines. Yes. And, and so what, when someone makes a claim in the spiritual domain, then that's one thing. When that spiritual domain makes claims on the epistemology of the objective world, that's where I'm always interested in, like, how do we do that better? How do we clarify that? Easy. I'm going to tell you an experiment you can do. Sure. You find a legitimate Tai Chi or Qigong master and offer them to a push hands contest. And you see how good your martial arts skills work when a 90 year old man can move you around like a rag doll, no matter how tough and skilled you think you are. And then ask yourself, if that guy wanted to hurt me, how easy would it be for him? And I have experienced it myself. And I think you're smart enough to know I'm not a weak little guy. And I have a lot of martial arts training. I fought on the third best boxing team in the world as an amateur and have proven my skills. And I have, I wouldn't even dare try to uh, think that I could beat Master Fong Ha and push hands no matter how many years I've done it because this guy is a, uh, multi-generational tai chi master meaning he eats sleep breathes and shits the dao and when you start engaging with somebody like that when he was 75 years old and he was teaching me i used to have him come do demonstrations for my students my students jaws would drop this guy would jump in the air like a ballet dancer be spinning and flying and look like a cat and you would be looking at the 75 year old man going, is this even humanly possible what I'm witnessing? My point is, 
go spend time, do the research to find the real people. And one of the things you'll find the more spiritually evolved, the less violent they are. And the more they use nonviolent approaches because they know that violence creates separation and separation is an illusion that is not supported by the universe. Therefore, you must maintain the energy to create the separation yourself and that burns people out. And I've had countless conversations with the elite fighters. In fact, you can listen to my podcast with Tim Welsh and Sean O'Malley. They're friends of mine. Yeah. Actually, I, heard, I, saw, I saw that one. I was like, oh, cool. I got to jump on that one. Mm -hmm. um, we talk a lot about this kind of stuff. Interesting. These guys oh, are very evolved fighters. You'll be impressed when you see how evolved these guys are. They've come and spent time with me. They've lifted stones with me and all sorts of neat stuff. That's rad. Yeah, Sean O'Malley is a beautiful fighter. I love the way he moves. Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm just being honest with you. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm likewise, right? I, uh, I've devoted my entire life to this stuff. Anyone that's spent time with me knows I have studied very intensely and practiced very intensely. My wife's been married to me for 24 years. I eat, sleep, breathe, and shit what I teach so that I can speak from the core of my being. And all I can share with you is what I know to be true from my own experience because that's all I know for sure. That's yeah. all I share with all my students. So if I'm talking about an astral field, it's because I know it exists and I work in the astral dimension daily. And I go there to find out what's wrong with people quite often. If you study shamanism, it's as old as the history of written record. Older, most likely. Probably. But the point I'm making is, is that when I listen to what you're saying, I see a younger version of myself that was very confident about things, but didn't realize that his confidence was lacking a, a thing called experience. And Experience also is more valuable if it comes by way of someone who's legitimately skilled at what they're teaching. In other words, you can have a lot of experience playing football, but if the people that were coaching you were not really effective, your experience isn't near as rich as someone with maybe half the years, but twice as good a coach. Because a good coach or a good master can accelerate your learning so fast. That's the point of a guru or a teacher or a coach is that they can accelerate your learning, but a real master doesn't accelerate it intellectually. It, it accelerates it experientially. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a good, that's a good guideline. Yeah, I mean, I love that you're so into all this stuff. I mean, your mind is flowering like crazy. Um, it's just our culture has a real hard time differentiating idea from authentic experience people say think because they can say the words that they've actually mastered it but it's the most dangerous problem in our culture that you can possibly imagine i'll yeah, give you so a good example of this i was teaching a workshop in um one of the pacific islands way out you know mm -hmm. somewhere like tahiti or something i can't remember i've taught so many workshops in my life and it was on the concepts in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. And after yeah. the lecture was over, 
this man and his wife and his kids walked up to me. He had a scowling look on his face. And I'm like, what the hell's with this guy? And he walks up to me, goes, I'm a medical doctor. And everything you just said about salt is ludicrous. You should not be telling people that. Do you not realize how salt raises your blood pressure and dot, dot, dot. And he started citing research. And I looked at him and I said, I have a question for you. Is the research on salt or sodium chloride? He said, they're the same thing. I said, you need to study salt because sodium chloride is only one element of salt. Most sea salt has 42 other trace minerals and as many as 40 elements from the ocean, all of which have regulating effects on the hormonal system. And I will bet you all the money I have that you would not have anything like that if we're giving people proper Celtic sea salt instead of sodium chloride. And I said, do you realize that 98% of the salt sold in the world is used in manufacturing processes and only two to 3% of it is actually used for human consumption. And sodium chloride is not meant to be consumed as a nutritional source. It's used in manufacturing because the trace animals, elements and, and minerals from the ocean screw up biochemical or chemical processes in laboratories. So we're actually eating something we call table salt, which is actually made for the chemical industry. And the other caveat that I highlighted for him is guess what they do with all the minerals they extract from the salt? They sell them to you in GNC and nutrition stores as nutrition supplements. So you buy the same salt multiple times. Well, he just looked at me and shook his head and walked off. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is what I mean by a person has a concept in their head, but they don't really understand the application of the concept because they're not differentiating sodium chloride from salt. And they haven't looked at the research on the use of salt versus the use of sodium chloride. So they get an idea in their head they're willing to fight for. And that's the problem with the entire medical system at large. And that's exactly what's going on right now because our understanding of viruses in the medical system is a long way from what the more holistic doctors like Zach Bush or people like Rudolf Steiner said about what viruses are. Mm -hmm. So there's just a classic example of how an idea does not actually work if it is not attached to reality. Well, yeah, I mean, it's back to that idea of the ecology that the idea lives within, right? Yes. How do you help the ecology of information that you are that you are engaging with? Yeah. And my my big thing is is I, I believe that we the scientific method works by by extracting the meaning out of things and creating an objective world, right? That we operate within. And it depends it, on how you extract it. Remember, most scientific explorations are reductionists. Yes. Approaches. You, you, if you take a watch apart to see how it works, you run the risk of losing how the parts fit together as a metaphor. Yes. If you take the sodium chloride out of salt and call it salt, then you miss the point. That's science. Mm -hmm. Science has has the, the problem with Western science is it's mastered reductionism, but it has not mastered holism because they call that spirituality or metaphysics, just like 
Plato's archetypes are thought by many in the field of psychology to be bullshit, but they haven't spent the time looking for them because they just believed when their professor told them it was bullshit. But when you actually study Jungian psychology and start looking at people's lives and looking at people's dreams and looking at people's visions and looking at people's mystical experiences and what they happens to them on psychedelics. And when you start analyzing fairy tales and you start analyzing myths, then you start seeing the patterns that the great people like Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, and many others showed that until you look with an open mind, you will deny not realizing all you're doing is emulating your professor who had a bias that got from his professor or his father and is just recapitulating ignorance, which is often pawned off as science. Well, one scientific idea is that that there are that all models are are, are all. I mean, this isn't even a scientific idea. This is Taoism, right? The Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao, right? The right. model that we create is always an imperfect representation of the thing itself. Yes, right? it's a representation. And so we we. What, what we know in some sense is that that scientific epistemology can create a certain solidity of knowledge that allows us to have zoom and be chatting right now and so we know that it that it is that it is pragmatically true enough that there's a lot of things that we can do with it that it's given us great power we also know through Gödel's incompleteness theorem that it can never that the axioms of science cannot be justified from within science and so there is this potential and for this. And neither can math. Look at Gödel's theorem, all right? So also, yeah, Gödel's theorem. But uh, turn that whole statement you just said, using science to compute to create the computer technology, then go watch the documentary Social Dilemma on Netflix and listen to what the founders of social media software say especially when asked if they let their children use it and you will see them say absolutely not yeah and they actually say we created a dragon and we don't know how to get it back into the box so science produces nuclear weapons and science produces drugs that kill people and science produces chainsaws but the question is is the creation of the scientific object used with within a moral context or in a functional context and are the creators of it looking at the negative with as much honesty as the positive. An iPhone yeah. can be a useful thing and it can be a very dangerous thing. So it really boils down to how much wisdom is imparted to the person holding it about how to use it to enhance their life. And this is where philosophy, this is where religion, this is where spirituality have to be coupled with science. And that's why Einstein said, um, uh, science without religion is lame and religion without science is lost. In fact, um, not 20 feet away, I've got a quote by Carl Jung about science. It's riveting. If you'd like, I'll go get it and read it to you. Yeah. Let me grab it. And there's one I want to share with you from Rudolf Steiner uh, that has to do with technology that's quite potent. Steiner said in the late 1800s, man will continue to invent technologies outside of himself 
until he either destroys the world or realizes that everything he's creating is an inferior copy of the technologies that exist within himself. The question is, which will come first? Yeah, that's one of my favorite, one of my favorite Peterson's quotes is we've, science has given us the knowledge or we, we know enough, we know enough to build a nuclear bomb, but do we know enough not to use it? <laughs> Something along yeah. those lines. Let's see, here's one. However, when technology is a central metaphor and the machine is our guiding image, beings become things. Nature becomes a repository of resources for human consumption and people are measured primarily in terms of efficiency and productivity, human resources, whose value is essentially an economic one. Is that Steiner? Uh, no, this is... Um, Jason E. Smith, religious but not religious. I'm interviewing him for my podcast. It's an excellent book. It's it's profound and deep and and beautiful. Um, it's very deep Jungian psychology. He's a Jungian analyst. Mm -hmm. If you haven't listened to my podcast with James Carse, I think it'd blow your mind. Okay, I'll check that one out. He wrote an amazing book called Finite and Infinite Games, and it's amazing. But me to read that book. Uh, I use that concept, but uh, I haven't actually got to the book yet, but it's, it's definitely on my list. Okay, on the collective level, he's speaking of something above, so hopefully it'll make sense. Um, on, the collective, on a collective level, this dichotomy can be seen as the difference between the scientific and religious point of view. The scientific perspective emphasizes and encourages standing apart, whereas religious consciousness, particularly in its ritual aspect, seeks a more complete participation with life. You know, when I find that quote by you, Jung, because it's specifically about the pros and cons of science, I'll type it up and email it to you. Okay, I'll add it to the intro of the podcast. See, I've got pages and pages of notes. I keep notes yeah. as I study. So each book is like a catalog and I leave messages as to like, this applies to this. And so I, I actually work books. They're all written all over. I destroy them, but make them functional. And it's pissing me off because just this morning, I happened to just flip this open and, say, and saw my note and said, oh, I've got to remember where that's at because it's such a profound, Jung's depth of understanding was just radical. He's one of these guys that can split your head wide open in one sentence. All, now that I know that you're, you're, you're interested in these things, you would, you would have a heart on the size of a fence post if you were in my library. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, um, I love a library. You can see behind me is my bookshelf. It doesn't have the books yet, but- uh, Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure you'll just, fill it up just, soon. We just moved in, so the boxes of books are there waiting to be, could be put up there, but, uh, but folks will be able to peek over my shoulder and see what I'm reading. Oh, I just shared that one with you. Okay, I'll track it down in here. It was one of those comments where I like, we need to post this on televisions, billboards, and iPhones all over the world because it'll really make people question if we're using science in ways that are actually enhancing our life versus 
giving us what looks to be efficiency and ease, but destroying the planet and our lives. Yeah. And I, you just a- put the heart in the devil's freaking arrow and the, the silver knife through the devil's heart. And, um, you know, I'm very pro-science in many ways. I've, I've cited research my whole career, but I can also tell you as a guy who studied a tremendous amount of science, you'd probably have to say that about 80% of it is junk. And only when you have the knowledge to des- assess the design and you have to follow the money and see who's involved and how they got to the conclusions and what their motives were. Because as people like Irvin Schrodinger said, what you discover in science is dependent utterly on the question you're asking. Yeah, so there's, the way I like to think about science is that there's science as a process, as an epistemology or a theory of knowledge. How do we gain knowledge? And then there's science as a body of of knowledge, the things that have been produced through the scientific process. And a lot of the things that have been, that have been accepted into the scientific body of knowledge or have been produced that way, haven't produced that way particularly well, or they're extracted from context that's needed to actually be able to utilize them effectively or to not set ourselves up for destruction. And unfortunately, I think that when we are, when we are without religion, or spirituality, um, we invest the scientific body of knowledge often with that same sense of worship, and that can be very misleading. So yeah, we have to we have to teach people to we have to teach people to be less accepting of the body of science and have a better and deeper understanding of the process of science, and then we have to understand where yeah. that process is appropriate and where where we have to be able to think in other ways. Those are the questions that I'm thinking about a lot right now. Yeah, one of the issues of science is science can only study what's created. It can't study the formative forces because it has no instruments for measuring them. Nothing before the Big Bang. A good example is people think that they're studying consciousness when they're looking at electroencephalogram, but they're not studying consciousness, they're studying the effects of the brain's receiving or generating thoughts, but they can't, they haven't done anything to identify where the thoughts coming from or even what the mind is. Uh, another good example of this is that science identified something quite paradoxical uh, quite a number of years ago. They found that water has an almost infinite capacity to carry information and that it can remember every surface it's ever touched for the life of the water molecule. But the question is, how? And so researchers looking at the physical structure of water and looking at the science of information storage felt that based on the science we have today, they cannot justify how much information a molecule of water can hold. So more advanced research was done. What's your question? Uh, I'm, I'm curious what research you're citing. Oh, it's, uh, I, I'm citing research that Greg Braden shared. Well, first I'm citing research from a bunch of the books I have on water. So there's, I got a whole section in my library, probably 30 books on water, but I'm leading to a point. So other scientists, when they concluded that a water molecule can't possibly hold that much information, especially today with computer technology, we have a pretty good uh, 
um, science of how to compress information. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they did more advanced studies. For example, I don't know if you know this, but do you know that the most powerful computers in the world use water as the hard drive? I've heard of quantum computing, but I didn't. I didn't well, know it doesn't have to be quantum. The most powerful computer in the world that we know of, because the other ones are kept secret, like quantum processors, is the Cray supercomputer, and it uses water as a hard drive. There is actually no physical, uh, like no metal hard drive like you typically see in a computer. So what they did is the, they did more advanced studies and what they found, and Greg Braden shares this on his series Missing Links on Gaia TV, he actually shows the research. They found that the water doesn't store the information, that the water is connected to a field, a non-local field that's storing all the information and the water's just interfacing with the field. So they actually found quite miraculously that the water is the interface it's not the storage medium and that it is actually the field which the field is is um by definition in science a field is a place of action but we have myriads of those you can't see an electromagnetic field but you're walking in them all the time for example so the 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 point that i was driving at is that science couldn't account for what they identified water seems to contain a shitload of information so they had to go deeper and when they go deeper they they found a mystery it's connecting to the field but they still don't really know objectively what the field is they just know the water's interfacing with what appears to be a non-local field yeah so in other yeah, words I, science I, I, can be it can only give you so much information but if you don't have the depth of knowledge to know when that information is limited, then your scientific pursuit can stop prematurely. And then you end up oftentimes being limited, like Fritz Albert Pop wanted to uh, understand photon emission, but there was no instrumentation for measuring single photon emission. They hadn't ever invented something that sensitive. But it turned out one of his graduate students had a background in electrical engineering and wanted to do this research. So Fritz Albert Pop said, well, if you build the photon counter, I will do the research with you. And then all of a sudden the whole field of, of um, biophotons emerged, which is now produced volumes of information. I've got like textbooks on it right up to date to the 2020. And they're showing us stuff about how cells communicate at the speed of light. They've done research, for example, showing it's impossible for the brain of a concert pianist to send and receive signals as fast as the pianist moves their hands. It's just not physically possible based on the most advanced science we have on the nervous system. So what they've done now and showing with biophoton research is that the cells are communicating with light using the fascial web of the body and that the pianist is actually using a completely different system than the nervous system to guide and control the fingers, but only the most recent science could figure that out. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that research. I know I know a lot of our motor control is via predictive processing. It's, you know, you're not waiting for the information from your fingertips. Your, your brain is predicting what the information will be and operating before the information arrives. And then yeah. post facto filling in when there's anomalies in the information. Um, that's a pretty good processing model. I haven't 
I know um, my friend Luke Sherrill and David Fleming talk a lot about light and there's some interesting stuff there. I, I need to dig deeper into it. But um, uh, yeah, I feel like you and I could just go on and on and on. We better have a drink someday and, and chat because this could- Well, you can have a drink, forever. I'll have a smoke. <laughs> uh, uh, drink some, some charged up water and, uh, and get charged. But, uh, but Paul, this has been really, really a pleasure to get to know you better and to, to share this dialogue. And um, I, I, my wife needs me to go help with dinner. And yeah, no I'm problem. Sure. I got to go too. I got kids to play with and food to eat. And I went way longer, but you started talking about things that got my passion up. So you captured me with your questions and your comments. And um, that's the best way to get me is start pushing on the science and the religion and the spirituality button <laughs> there we go well let's uh let's touch base again and um yeah have another one of these let's all right well good luck with your podcast and uh continue to learn and grow and um stay keep the top of your head open okay i'm doing my best I have a cartoon I, I created and had my artist do up for me. And I can't remember who the quote comes from, but it says, uh, uh, what does it say? It basically shows a picture of a bunch of people graduating with their graduation caps on. Mm -hmm. And it says, uh, don't, oh, don't let your education get in the way of your learning. And I have, I had my artist show the, heads being folded shut and a welder welding around the cap of their head so their graduation cap fits on so they they they're, they they you know the uh, assumption of a lot of graduates is i'm done learning now i know it all so when my yeah. students come to my course i always say don't let your schooling get in the way of your education because a lot of what i'm going to teach you is going to go completely against the grain of what you were taught especially if you come from the exercise nutrition or medicine fields yeah yeah absolutely my way of learning is by is by pushing and and by you know making sure that 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 I really clearly understand where the claims are coming from, what the theory of truth is behind them, and and so it, it seems like you appreciated that. So I, I well, I do, but I I'm trying to tell you that as you grow and and experience, you'll look back on what you thought you knew for sure and realize, wow, 20 years ago I thought I was smart, but I wasn't that smart at all. I was just full of myself, and you know. I've looked back on myself and go, geez, how did I even make it through the world? <laughs> I had a few of those epiphanies already. So I'm open. I'm, uh, oh, I I'm not, won't be surprised if they keep coming. <laughs> they will. <laughs> Especially if you keep talking to guys like me, because we'll keep twisting you and bending you and challenging you. <laughs> Likewise. All right, man. Lots of dinner. I mean, lots of love and have a good dinner. <laughs> lots of dinner, too. <laughs> Good one. Okay. See you, yeah. bud. So much appreciation. Love and chi, my friend. You Talk too, to you buddy. later. Stay well. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.